from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about the economy, the stock market, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, it's honestly the dog days of summer. We're here with our third down week in August, as August just kind of marches on and we get hit by more and more like weird bad news, specifically coming out of China and specifically coming out of the retail sector, as the market tries to digest, you know, what in the world is happening in this market? So to help me sort of understand the grab bag of both good and bad things happening in this kind of difficult August. As always, audience, I am joined by our CEO and co-founder and chief analyst, Justin Kramer. Justin Kramer, dude, what's good, man? Where are you calling in from today? Like, where does the world find you? <laughs> back in New York right now. Uh, good to be back on the East Coast. Ton going on this summer. Um, I feel like we've said this a thousand times, but we have a lot of exciting announcements. Our coverage is about to expand increasingly come, in- about to expand substantially come the fall. A lot of new features coming on the heels of a lot of fun announcements. So for all people listening now on the live or recorded version, we really appreciate the support for from our early adopters. Exactly. And I think that's one thing to keep in mind, too. One reason we're a little bit bullish, of course, audience, is because we're watching sort of live um, capital start coming off the sidelines, so to speak. People are really gearing up to start investing again, at least on the sort of whale side of the economy. And you're kind of seeing that play out across a bunch of industries. Like, it's kind of the a lot of investment is the reason that Bitcoin tanked so hard today as well. So we'll get into that, but let's kind of like level our way up through the uh, highlights real fast. Let's get through sort of the quick stuff first, Justin. Uh, Once again, the market sold off a little bit this morning, a little bit to end of the week, because China, once again, is spooking the market. We're worried about hitting our Lehman moment. A pretty big trader over in China, Zhongrong International Trust, just missed $14 million of principal and interest payments. Um, that's like the third consecutive bad news thing coming out of China. So uh, is that whole economy about to collapse, Justin, or am I being a little bit too Catholic and freaking out too much about it? <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, a lot going on over there right now, to your point. Um, something we've been talking about for repeat listeners a bit now in terms of the Chinese economy um, and what's going on over there. So just to kind of give a brief recap before diving into the specifics, China's kind of taken a hard stance on COVID relative to the rest of the developed world in the last few years. And it's kind of gone back to to bite them in the ass a bit in the sense that America started taking off the restrictions earlier than them. We saw a surge in employment and the economy has been relatively stable in the, even in the face of inflation and rising interest rates, where in China, they kind of took the opposite approach, and it was basically pure lockdowns for a very long period of time up until recently. And that's really hurt um, basically a lot of what's been going on um, in the Chinese economy in terms of growth. Unemployment has r- r- risen substantially. Um, and now, to your point, this is starting to hit a headwind. Um, one big thing that you and I had been talking about is Evergrande um, that they're filing for bankruptcy protection in in U.S. bankruptcy courts. Um, And that is spooking the markets as another potential domino in the global economic markets. And so if you're not familiar, basically Evergrande is one of China's biggest uh, property builders. And they've been like building these big cities all throughout China um, in the hopes that people would populate them Um, They were giving out very good incentives via the Chinese government. Um, And ultimately what happened was with COVID lockdowns, a lot of younger, newer people were supposed to move there. You ended up getting these ghost cities across China. And as this debt and non-revenues basically started accumulating on their balance sheet, it got to the point now where there's obviously some, some massive issues and some spillover into the other parts of the economy. 
And so it's a little too early to say if we're looking at like a Lehman type moment in China right now in terms of just this massive blow up in the residential and just even commercial real estate market. Um, But effectively, this is pretty big as in even just July alone, Evergrande posted combined losses of over $81 billion um, and net losses were down huge. So it's a little early to see how this will all play out. Um, But in China, this is having massive like issues. And that's why one of the reasons why just the emerging markets with China so heavily involved have been down so big to start the year relative to the rest of the developed world. Um, How it then spills into the U.S., it's a little too early to say. We're not really going to be directly impacted by this, but this then affects other like industries and other people and then companies within them, then like there could be spillover to the U.S. economy. So while China and U.S. are very distinct, they're also very interconnected. So like many things in terms of like black swan type events, these are things that have downstream effects that take years to play out. So, you know, the headlines will cover it today. I'm sure by next week it'll die down, but this is something that can have massive downstream implications. And I think one thing to keep in mind too, audience, it's not just Evergrande as well. Evergrande is just the latest one to play out this week. Also last week, we got Country Garden Holdings net saying that their losses for the first half of 2023 were going to be around 7.6 billion. Like these these incentives were economy-wide and just really mistimed in terms of like how the COVID pandemic played out as well. And I think the only thing we can really say to counter that is... Um, these are for all of these. These are all individual areas of the Chinese economy, and we're only getting sort of one month's data for it. Like if we see these losses mount and this downturn continue into uh, August and September, that's a big concern because it shows that the Chinese government simply just cannot restart this economy. However, if we see this kind of like reverse course, which is very possible given how volatile sort of restarting a billion person economy is, um, there's a there's a strong possibility we can reverse our way out of this. Although at the same time, Justin, just to kind of get into sort of meme trading, I guess it's kind of, people were saying that Michael Burry made this, you know, $1.6 billion bet against the uh, U.S. economy. Obviously, he didn't spend $1.6 billion betting against the economy, but it's seeing, it's seeming kind of prescient right now, right? Like, um, he did this in Q2. He's got puts out for the S&P and the NASDAQ. Uh, kind of seems really smart now, right, given sort of like the volatility we're seeing in the DGI and the NASDAQ, or am I overreacting there? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. There's a lot going on there. Um, I guess, I guess some, before I dive into my opinion, we'd love to hear yours since it's usually just me rambling off on you most of the time. Well, it's one of those things, like, unless I know the strike price, I can't say if it's a good option strategy or a bad option strategy. And the thing about Burry is, is that he's been wrong a lot more than he's been right. Sure, he was the most correct person about the 2007 financial crash. But at the same time, August, uh, if you look historically, is the month where the markets go down the most, a sort of sentiment fades and people just go on vacation and economic activity kind of dries up the most. So if you're going to put puts out against a whole index, uh, you're kind of smart doing it in August, so to speak. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely agree. I was going to say, I just want to hear your side of it, but I, I agree. I mean, like, listen, he got the, <laughs> he got 0708, right? Which is a massive checkbook and put him on the map similar to like, not comparing him to Kathy Woods, but Kathy Woods got a really, a few good plays, right? And now she's a household name, but there's been plenty of instances that he's just totally missed. So like, just looking at his recent track record, like 2015, I mean, he's been a permable for a long time, but 2015, he predicted the stock market would crash in December uh went up by 11 percent over the next 12 months 2017 in may he predicted another meltdown but it went up 19 percent in the next 12 months september 2019 he predicted another crash s&p went up over by 15 percent in the next 12 months 
there's plenty of examples like this. I think him putting billions of dollars into puts, it's a little misleading in the sense that we're not to your, exactly your point, like not sure exactly how it's playing out. We're not sure when the strike price is, if he's hedging other parts of his portfolio. We just know he did it. In isolation, it is a big deal when you're putting a billion and a half dollars into shorting the, the U.S. stock market. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that like we should be aware of, even if it's not him, just anyone in general. That's a, a lot of money. Um, but again, we're not sure the motives behind the play, what he's thinking, why he's doing it. So I think this is another example of like these 13F reports that a lot of people will just look at and tout and say, you know, this is what's going on. This is why you should be aware, you know, just clickbait news more or less. I think it's definitely very important, something to watch for, um, especially if other investors from other funds are mirroring these trades. But again, in isolation, like it, it can be extremely misleading. Exactly. And I think one thing to really look into as well is sort of, unless you have the exact specific circumstances of a trade, you don't really know what's happening. Like, it's easy to say this is a bet against the economy, but this could also be just him leveraging against like a super huge bet he made to sort of like make sure he gets something back if he yeah, you know, for sure. mis yeah, misplaced his chips on a really big call as well. Yeah, exactly. But if I mean... If we like if we if we look at this and we're saying we're not exactly sure, one area we do know where we're sure is a recent trade by a, a, a senator down in Alabama by the name of Tommy Duberville. Um, this is something that is very straightforward. Um, a lot of these government officials are actively buying and selling stocks with inside information and getting completely away with it, which is highly illegal for the rest of the citizens here in the U.S. And so. Just this week, Tommy Tuberville, for example, bought up a small cap stock that he's never bought before. He's not known for buying these small stocks. It was a company called Humasite. Um, and basically, he had bought them a week later. He bought three different tranches. A week later, they announced that their technology was successful in treating injuries from, for, from like combat in the Ukraine. And then based on that announcement, he could have made upwards to 80% on his initial investments in a week. Like that's how much the stock popped. And he's buying these small cap biotech names with applications for military um, military personnel overseas. And I mean, that and like the timing alone is highly suspect. But then when you look at the fact that he sits <laughs> on the Senate Armed Services Committee that directly oversees a lot of the parts of like international wars, I mean, it's just, it's it's hard to to say or to take any other takeaway that this is clearly inside information in the sense of him being involved in the fight over there, knowing what companies and and treatments and technologies are helping the war and efforts. And I mean, him buying a stock a week before this announcement is made and profiting off it is just I mean, it's just so it's so obvious. And it's one of those things that they're not going to make it illegal. Why would you not do it? Like, if that's going to be the incentive of being, you know, on these sort of committees, why would you not play it? So you know, as we keep getting more and more legislation trying to get trying to block folks from doing this, at the very least, we can understand what's happening in the markets a little bit better as well. And I mean, when you are sort of a biotech company, small cap, and you have military applications, it kind of makes sense that you're going to potentially pop off with the amount of investment the U.S. is putting into military technology as they support uh, Ukraine's defense of their shores and Ukraine's current stalled and offensive against Russia. But not to get into that a lot more. But, you know, that's the way of thinking cynically about this. Like, at least you get more information about the market out of it to help sort of understand your investment efforts, not that you can directly profit from uh, Tommy Tuberville's malfeasance. But, I mean, if you, if you have the ability and no one's going to stop you, I mean, what else are you going to do, right? So it just shows you the perverse 
power incentives we get here in the United States. Um, let's get out of let more, what is it called, dark topics and sort of try to understand what's happening, sort of where we can actually get in on the action, so to speak, Justin. I think one big indicator we got this week was retail earnings. It's really important to see how consumer spending is doing. First of all, overall retail spending managed to go up a lot more than people expected, around 7%, according to uh, the U.S. figures. And then we finally saw that discretionary purchases are back up at Walmart, which is huge. The two biggest retailers that we have in terms of like the necessities reported this week, we had both Target and Walmart, and it's kind of a tale of two cities. Target uh, is sort of like the more air quotes premium retailer, and they're getting hit a lot harder. They're cutting their guidance. As as folks switch to more sort of necessities, a lot of Target's uh, not as important purchases aren't getting made, whereas Walmart managed to completely turn things around thanks to their e-commerce operations. Their profits are up, their e-commerce sales are up 24%, and more importantly, they've managed to streamline operations and grocery so much that since people are switching more to um, buying the necessities, so to speak, they're, they're doing really well. Of course, uh, Target had been more oversold than Walmart because... The market simply just expected a lot worse from Target, so Target actually rose a lot more in the short term, whereas Walmart just kind of stayed flat because that's just exactly to be expected. But when you look at this, Justin, and you look at retail spending overall, uh, do I still got reasons to be bullish here, or is there anything sort of like within the numbers we should be concerned about as we watch more and more retailers uh, report earnings? Like next week, we're going to get some more specialty retail, but just just looking at that, how are you feeling about sort of the health of the U.S. economy overall? Like, yes, we're down in August, but is this like a long-term trend or is it kind of like the bear trap that always happens late August as everyone kind of gives up on the economy a little bit and goes on vacation a little bit too hard? Yeah, I mean, it's we're in an interesting part. We said this last week um, and we're looking at Walmart. We look at Target as kind of proxies for the U.S. consumer. And, you know, you look at Walmart in particular, the healthy top line growth, mar their margin stories playing out. Um, guidance like wasn't amazing, but like in real time, you're seeing it play out if we're being like really nitpicky. And there's just a clear theme of like increased market share for these big players and, you know, more people spending at uh, at these kind of retailers. So I think in isolation, like it's good for the companies. But when you like really zoom out and you're looking at the broader U.S. economy um, right now, like the, the biggest thing to be just aware of for most folks is the fact that, again, we said this last week, the week before, but a lot of the upside has been priced in at this point. So um you look at the market and basically our general outlook for the rest of the year into next year is that things are expensive um right now everyone's thinking the fed is going to cut rates early next year potentially in q1 um and that this era of heightened rates and then subsequently um just like muted expectations is going to be behind us and so going forward earnings growth will resume just overall U.S. economic growth will resume. All indicators that we want to look for that are trending upwards should trend upwards is what most investors are thinking. And that's why a lot of tech names in particular have done really well to start the year. And basically, these names are trading on multiples of revenue historically and revenue growth. So if you make $100 or if you make $100 in revenue and you're worth $1,000, you're trading at 10 times revenue. And most stocks and most companies have ranges in terms of the valuations they get. For traditional SaaS-based companies, it's usually anywhere, like from the median average, like four to 10 times revenue. And as things get more expensive, investors need to see then uh, revenue growth, margin growth, some sort of growth to help tell that story that, hey, this stock is worth how expensive it is because the upside is so much. And right now, what we're seeing is that a lot of these companies are priced at the at the higher end of their historical multiples, but we're not seeing 
that they're getting this revenue growth or margin growth or whatever growth is coming or is expected is coming anytime soon. If the Fed does lower rates next year and things look to pick back up and companies are quick to react and quickly to get the downstream benefits, then then so be it. But for the next six months, I think the market has really gotten ahead of itself in a lot of areas. And so what we're doing in particular is trying to find companies that A, are cheap and or affordable towards their historical norms of their valuations, and then B, looking for companies that are continuously growing. So not only are cheap, but are doing well as well. So I think that's the, the biggest difference. And so although you've seen a massive surge across the board in a lot of different companies, I think a lot of that's going to reverse to the norm. And we've already start to see a reverse in the norm over the last month or two. And so I think that's what we're seeing is like this reversion of valuations in the last month. And I think it's much less to do with, you know, certain economic indicators like retail sales or anything in particular. I think we need to see a big move upwards um, for these companies to resume their upward trajectory rather than just, you know, a muted outlook and expectations that things will be okay and not better. So I think that's the, you know, going to be the biggest thing we're looking for in the back half of the year. And I think one thing that Mark, folks that you can help you understand that is something that Justin has talked about pretty frequently and something that comes up in our everyday research pretty frequently, and that's this shift back from growth to value. In, say, Q2, we had a huge influx of investment in growth companies because companies like Meta and NVIDIA just set off, set off a huge wave of investment thanks to their insane growth due to AI advancements. Um, now that we're seeing, you know, the big names not reporting anymore, they're, they're sort of done. Sure, NVIDIA, Alphabet, everybody is popping off and doing really well. The market is now a little bit concerned that, oh, we, we overinvested, so let's shift back to value companies. Let's go back and invest in healthcare and airlines and so to speak. But I think one thing that can really either make or break what we've had sort of like as a three-month bull trend is next Wednesday when NVIDIA reports earnings again. Uh, if NVIDIA manages to keep up with their insane expectations. Just to give you an idea, they have been absolutely exploding in terms of revenue. They are up 100% year to date. They have doubled in the past year thanks to just truly ludicrous um, revenue and profitability beats as they just sell these AI chips like hotcakes and manage to get them out as quickly as possible. Question here comes then, Justin, can NVIDIA keep it up? Are we going to see a resumption of sort of a shift back to growth names if NVIDIA sort of meets these ridiculous expectations? Or are we going to keep seeing the reversion to the mean as it just doesn't seem possible for NVIDIA to meet these raised expectations as every single major financial house has raised their price targets again for NVIDIA? Yeah, I mean, it's just this AI trend is something that's booming and it is ha actually has legs. You know, we've seen these runs before, things get overhyped, it falls out. AI is going to be no different. But a lot of the hype is coming in the private sector via the forms of a lot of these companies. You look at Y Combinator is one of the biggest like incubators in the country. And historically, in the last few years, they've had massive cohorts of crypto related companies go through their uh, program. And this year, it's actually like zero, which is crazy. And now everyone is AI. So like everything else, that will eventually fall out. Um, but in the public markets, there's only a handful of companies that are really getting pumped up by it. Having said that, I think a lot of it is actually warranted. Facebook is seeing a massive amount of spend their way. Some of it's from AI. Some of it's just a recovery in advertising. Um, but there is a, a gold rush and companies like NVIDIA are able to kind of purely take advantage of it. So yes, is their valuation extremely high? relative to like their historical norms in terms of like their multiple on revenue and earnings growth going forward 100 percent yes 
but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be overvalued. This is going to be a run that we think continues for a while. And that's the most important thing too. Like the AI revolution definitely has legs. Um, unlike maybe Web three has something to it eventually, but definitely not to the degree it was hyped up in the in like twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. RIP all of our Web three friends. But main thing we're still watching too is if Nvidia meets these expectations, they're also kind of setting the floor of the tech market right now. Because again, the AI revolution depends on the ability for companies to have access to the processing power necessary to do AI, and Nvidia is kind of setting sort of the foundation of that by producing sort of the industry standard for AI chips right now. Sure, everybody else is making them, but NVIDIA currently has the most and is printing them the fastest. So if they can get a lot out there, then the market will turn a little bit more bullish as more access is granted to um, AI com computing capabilities as the rest of the manufacturing base worldwide starts to catch up to this, right? So a lot of really interesting things can happen here, but it all really depends on just how far NVIDIA gets into making sure that they have the ability to meet these expectations. They're sky high, and I think NVIDIA is going to swing the markets one way or the other. Either they're going to keep pushing us back towards regressing to the mean, or they are going to absolutely just push us into a new stratosphere of complete insanity. Uh, but again, time will tell there. It's one of those things where we don't want to say it, it, it can, which way it'll go. It just feels really spicy right now. So from my perspective, I think we're going to see a little bit more regression to the mean. It's not going to be an NVIDIA tanking the market, so to speak, but they're going to bring the reality of the pace at which AI rev the AI revolution will sort of happened. So I'm excited to see that. I'm really excited to sort of comb through the numbers. Again, that earnings call is on Wednesday. And other than that, we're watching more specialty retail next week too, as the sort of real dregs of earnings seasons are coming out. But it's going to be a tough couple of weeks for the markets as there's going to be very little to be excited about. And, you know, a little bit of just a little economic activity. We're in the really slow period before Labor Day hits, and then we all start sprinting to Christmas. So you have to anticipate the doldrums here, so to speak. We've gotten through doldrums before, but we are doing a really good job of marching towards this recovery. We're just very much in the volatile phase of that recovery. So that brings us really close to sort of time here, Justin. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Any final thoughts on your end in terms of like your, your yearly outlook, or does that kind of co cover our bases in terms of our whole perspective? Uh, I think that's really good. I think we can cut it there. Uh, people have questions, of course, reach out. If not, uh, definitely check out more in the app. We have a lot more information in there. Absolutely. And audience, again, thank you so much for listening. Again, with these sort of August episodes, you're always going to get more of our grab bag perspective as we sort of, you know, hand over fist search for salient topics to look into. Uh, if you want to get more of our long-term perspective, as always, check us out over at moby.co or app.moby.co. Get a free trial. See our long-term perspective. Uh, our latest reports this week focused on pharma and the space industry. Um, hint, uh, everything's getting kind of crazy as long as you're doing things right. In either one of those industries, we kind of got a lot of clarity of SpaceX versus Rocket Lab and how that those are playing out. We got an interesting look at the behind-the-scenes numbers of a private company, SpaceX, compared to the public information we've always had about Rocket Lab. That's really interesting. At the same time, we're tracking more and more Wall Street bets and congressional trades. As we understand sort of how big actors and big bettors in this economy are sort of playing things with the information they have. So you get a better sense of exactly what's happening in this market. That's the game we want to give you. We want to give you sort of clarity about the market so you can make the best possible decisions on your end and truly understand what's happening in this market. Regardless, audience, like Justin said, that's a pretty solid place to end it. If you ever have any questions for us, you can always hit us up 
at hello at moby.co. Otherwise, we really appreciate your time. Just so you know, folks, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr, for moby.co. All of the intellectual value that comes from this podcast comes from our analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here. Um, as always, audience, one reason that we're a little bit uh, behind the curve in terms of this podcast is because of how insane it has been sort of gearing up for some really good product launches here at moby.co. So if you are, you know, sort of a media person, an analyst, anybody who thinks about the markets deeply, who wants to think about their next opportunity, uh, reach out at hello at moby.co. We might be thinking about opening up opportunities here to help build the product and sort of build our perspective. Just, you know, a quick shout out there. Um, otherwise, audience, we really appreciate your time. Hit us up over at moby.co. And, and as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much. <laughs>